0: Welcome to MuggleCast, your weekly ride into the Wizarding World. I'm Andrew. I'm Micah. I'm Maura. And we're joined by Pat, who hasn't been on for a while. So welcome back, Pat. Very happy to be back. Are you still playing Hogwarts Mystery? Yes, I am. What level are you in Wizards Unite? Uh, 29. Oh, wow. I stopped playing Wizards Unite.
1: Gotta Me be honest. Me too. Yeah, I fell mm. off of it. Mm.
2: Are you still playing Micah? Actually, for the first time in a while opened up the app this week, so I'm in the same boat. I haven't, I haven't played consistently.
0: I, I think I peaked in Indianapolis. It's just got it's gotten repetitive. I'm doing the same stuff every day, so I'm like, why am I playing?
3: For me, it's like a thing when I'm at work and I'm bored or don't want to move on to my next task. I'll like open it, do a few things, close it, and then move on.
0: Well, anyway, on today's episode, we're going to be discussing Order of the Phoenix Chapter 5, The Order of the Phoenix, and... We also have a news item to discuss. This one is pretty big. No more Pottermore. <laughs> End of an era. Pottermore has moved all of its content over to WizardingWorld.com, and Pottermore is truly gone. If you type in Pottermore.com, it just redirects to WizardingWorld.com. The Pottermore social media handles now just say Wizarding World. It's gone. It's over. It's kind of sad, actually, because Pottermore opened in beta in 2011 and then officially the next year. But you all might remember, it was a big deal when it opened because Mm -hmm. it came right after the final movie was released. And just this name, Pottermore. Oh, my gosh, we're getting more Potter. It was so exciting. And they were rolling out a few chapters at a time. And J.K. Rowling was dropping new Harry Potter information on Pottermore. And that was back in the day when people actually really wanted more Harry Potter information. So it was very exciting. Mm-hmm.
2: How are you guys feeling about this? Well, one thing you just made me remember was the name itself. Wasn't that a big deal? They released letters on different websites.
3: They
0: did. They used MuggleNet, the Leaky Cauldron. And you had to put the letters together and figure out what it meant
3: yeah I remember I got in to be a beta tester i like and I remember I was in my last year of college and I got an email like while I was in class, but I couldn't like access it while I was in the classroom, so I was like sprinted back to my apartment to start my beta round of it. You left class to log into the Pottermore beta. No, I waited till class was over, but oh granted, I did skip my next class, but, but
0: you skipped class to log into Pottermore. Yeah, I was really excited. Beautiful. That's a true fan right there.
2: It is kind of sad because it was such a big deal back in 2011 when we were all kind of hungry for something more. But I'll be honest, I did go and download the new Wizarding World app once you told me I needed to do it for the show uh, because (laughs) I needed to be resorted. But I I actually like the concept of sorting now. I like the... uh, the AI and the fact that you can put the hat on and they, they did a good job with that. I'm not really sure what the rest of the app does. It seems like it's still in beta, to be honest with you. Uh, there's just not a whole lot there. Yeah. And outside of that, I mean, I tried to take a few more of the tests again, but I don't know if you're allowed to yet. I clicked on the Patronus to see if I could redo that and nothing happened. So I'm not really sure outside of sorting you what this app does right now.
0: Yeah, so they have this new augmented reality sorting experience, and you get to wear the hat, which is pretty cool, and it lets you easily take a picture of yourself wearing the hat. And then the questions, and now this this was a big deal because we were worried that they were creating a whole new sorting hat quiz with new questions. These are actually the questions that J.K. Rowling wrote all those years ago for Pottermore's original sorting hat. So in theory, if you answer the same way, you still should be getting the same sorting assignment. Mm -hmm. I took this as soon as it was released and I was really impressed with the augmented reality and like you have to tilt your phone around to answer some of the questions and stuff like that. It was pretty cool. However, I got sorted into Hufflepuff. I have never been sorted into Hufflepuff before.
1: Ooh, and that's official. Now you're Hufflepuff.
0: And the other thing is the new quiz will actually let you keep your old sorting assignment and my old assignment was Ravenclaw, so I actually stuck with that. No offense to Hufflepuffs, but I mean, if I accepted that, then I would have been in all four houses over my years <laughs> as a Harry Potter fan. And I, I can't do that. I can't. You're a mess,
2: Andrew. Yeah,
1: I, I thought you were a Slytherin. I well,
0: I am a Slytherin, but Pottermore says I'm a Ravenclaw, and now New Pottermore
3: calls me a Ravenclaw or a Hufflepuff. I just, I'm lost, y'all. I need to go into therapy. <laughs> that is one where I've always been a Gryffindor on every sorting in ex- like everything on every Pottermore account that I've done has always been the same except for the Patronuses that's different on every single one.
1: Yeah, still a Ravenclaw. Um, I've been a Ravenclaw all along. And Good. I was I was really impressed to see as I was going through the experience because it really does feel like more of an experience now, as opposed to just like clicking radio buttons on the Internet. Um, I was like, oh, I'm pretty sure these are the same questions. I feel like mm-hmm. I remember these questions, and I just went with the answers I remembered using before because they still felt right to me.
0: I went with the answers I felt were right as well, but apparently I've changed <laughs> my feelings over the years. Same here. But we've spoken about that before.
2: I don't remember what I answered last time, and I started to actually get a bit nervous as the quiz was going on because I didn't yeah. think I was going to be sorted again into Ravenclaw even though I was, and I just wonder too, does it look at what house you're already sorted into and and maybe just kind of give you that benefit? Like, does it, is it already the, this may be getting way too- Does it
0: nudge you that way? Yeah,
2: it could be getting a bit too technical, but does the algorithm take into consideration the fact that you're already sorted into a certain house and so that kind of weighs more heavily when you start the quiz, but- Maybe, but didn't work for me. (laughs) Yeah, that's true. Uh, But yeah, just like Laura, Ravenclaw.
0: I thought I was answering like a Gryffindor. I was pretty confident I was going to get Gryffindor, but evidently not. We asked on Patreon, where did the reimagined sorting hat quiz put you? 59 people said I received the same house assignment. 55 people said I got a new house assignment. And 41 people said I refused to take it. You actually really (laughs) should take it, though, because it is... It's an a, it's, it's a very well done quiz. Yeah. And and Pottermore, sorry, I keep calling them Pottermore. Wizarding World lets you throw away your house assignment and stick with your old one. Mm. I will also just add, calling this new website Wizardingworld.com, it just it doesn't feel as homey as Pottermore did, you know? Wizarding World, it's it's more of a franchise name.
1: Yeah, well I think that's what they're going for. Yeah. For mm. better or for worse, you know.
0: By the way, they did say in a press release that Wizarding World Gold is still happening. This is going to be the subscription to WizardingWorld.com with an annual fee. They said we will be getting a physical gift every year. And we're also going to get access to events. That's another thing that was launched. a w- official Wizarding World fan club This is the first one they've ever done. There's nothing really to it right now other than upcoming events. And apparently Wizarding World Gold is coming soon, so we'll talk about that when it launches. But I thought we could say goodbye to our original Pottermore usernames. As we all might remember, they didn't let us create our own usernames because they wanted to make this kid friendly and they didn't want people using their real names. So they just gave you a couple of options. I was CatSeeker411 or something like that. So goodbye, CatSeeker. I'll always remember you.
1: I don't remember what my full one was, but I do remember part of it was Rook. Um, like a rook from a chessboard. Mm-hmm. Um, so goodbye, Rook, whatever. I hardly knew ye, really. <laughs>
3: Mine was Phoenix Silver 90, which I actually really liked. So I actually have that as my handle for Wizards Unite. Oh, cool. So Phoenix Silver lives on.
2: See, this is the uh, benefit of having Gmail. I just looked it up, and uh, because I had no idea what it was, Shadow Spell ninety
1: three. <laughs> Ooh, how mysterious!
2: Eric was Strike Lumos one one
0: three. Eric says he's in tears from afar, and by the way, he was sorted back into Gryffindor, and I think he's feeling pretty good about that.
2: See, he was never a true Hufflepuff. He just plays to the crowd. Whatever works for the crowd, that's what house he's in. Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, speaking of crowds, uh, Comic Con is happening this weekend in New York City. And uh, MuggleNet has a couple of events that are going on. I actually attended one last night. Uh, Eric was the MC of a segment called uh, Into the Pensive. And it was a look back at MuggleNet over the last 20 years. It's hard to believe MuggleNet is 20 years old. Uh, But they had a a really good crowd out there and uh, a bunch of different fun segments that took place throughout the course uh, of the evening. And they actually had Dan Fogler, who plays uh, Jacob in the Fantastic Beasts series, judge in a rumpet mating contest.
1: I'm sorry, what?
2: Yeah, what exactly
0: happened
1: there?
2: (laughs) They got seven people from the audience (laughs) and they were pulled up on stage and they played the scene from the first Fantastic Beast movie when uh, Newt does his little mating dance to get the Arumpet into his briefcase, and basically <laughs> throughout that course of the dancing, Dan was eliminating people, and eventually the crowd picked a winner. So um,
3: that's you know, fine. It was, it was interesting.
2: Well,
1: it, yeah. What
2: was what was cool about it at first, though, was that somehow Dan sneaked into the panel without really anybody noticing he was sitting right in the front row and you know he just kind of jumps up when eric's talking about we need somebody from the fantastic beast series who can really judge this appropriately uh and he ends up oh that's clever screaming i can do it so uh (laughs) it was uh It's definitely a a cool uh, event that they put on. I want to also just give
0: everybody a quick update on our tote bags. All of our tote bags, including the 200 internationals, have gone out. We were really proud of this project, and everybody seems to be really happy with the bags, those who are receiving them. So thank you to everybody who has supported us this year at patreon.com slash MuggleCast. Your support goes towards running this show, and we really appreciate it, and we try to give back to you as well. So we send out a physical gift every year. This year, we actually sent out two things, the tote bag and the
2: signed album art, since we had new album art to sell, And we have Laura. And Laura. Laura signed it. That's what I mean. It makes it more valuable. Oh.
1: (laughs) No, actually, you put me in the mail, and you're just sending me around the country.
2: (laughs) Yeah, how's that trip?
1: (laughs) It's going pretty well.
0: You're like a politician, always on the move.
1: That's right.
2: The uh, the tote bags, though, are really cool. I, I got one finally yesterday when Eric showed up here in New York, and uh, I, was, I was really impressed with, uh, with how nice they are.
0: Time now for a word from this week's sponsor. They're a new sponsor, Quip. They are sleek, simple, very effective, and very affordable electric toothbrushes that will give you a clean, healthy mouth so you can smile as proudly as Gilderoy Lockhart on the cover of which weekly it's good that pat is on this week because i'm going to use him as an example for all of you who may be wondering why do i need an electric toothbrush until earlier this year pat hadn't been to the dentist for close to 10 years or what was it
3: 10 years six years
0: six years Uh, felt like 10 years when i looked at that mouth anyway (laughs) he knew i had an electric toothbrush and i told him He should do the same, but he said, oh, no, I don't need that. I can do just as good of a job with a manual one. But you actually can't. When Pat did finally go to a dentist earlier this year, he found that out. And his dentist said, everyone needs to have an electric toothbrush. They just work better. The fast vibrations are critical to getting a good cleaning. So... That's why you should check out Quip. They are one of the first electric toothbrushes accepted by the American Dental Association. They're backed by over 25,000 dental professionals, and they have thousands of verified five-star reviews. So what do you get? You get sensitive vibrations with a built-in timer, Ends. it'll help you guide through gentle brushing for the dentist-recommended two minutes with 30-second pulses, ensuring an even clean. And gentle but fast brushing is important. The dentist Pat and I use actually told us not to use those deep, clean brush heads for electric toothbrushes because they're too hard on your teeth. I actually didn't know that until I went to the dentist recently, so I was glad he told me. They also deliver you brush heads every three months, so your brush head never gets too worn down. And Laura, you actually use a Quip toothbrush too, right?
1: Yeah. It just so happens that I was gifted one of these a few months ago, and I saw you guys were talking about it today, so I was like, oh, this is perfect. I had used an electric toothbrush in the past, like one of the big name brand ones. And I always remember feeling like it was just too hard on my gums because the vibrations were so intense. But this is really gentle, but effective. Like my mouth always feels really, really clean afterwards. Good
0: habits matter to live a healthier life. We can't make our wands clean our teeth, unfortunately. So let Quip do the job. You need an electric toothbrush. Get one that's affordable, smart, and includes the right features for a healthy smile. Quip starts at just $25, and you'll get your first refill free at getquip.com muggle. This is a simple way to support our show and start brushing better. But you have to get to getquip.com muggle to get your first refill free. Go right now to getquip.com muggle.
1: Another thing that impresses me about these is how affordable they are. When yeah, you look at the are. cost of other electric toothbrushes, they can be an initial like seventy to hundred dollar investment depending on which one you're buying. And the replacement heads are expensive too.
0: So it's time now for chapter by chapter, Order of the Phoenix, chapter five, Order of the Phoenix. We'll kick it off with our seven word summary and Pat, you will start.
3: Okay, well, let's just go with Harry. Asks. Serious.
1: About.
3: Voldemort.
0: Voldemort? Just Voldemort? It's Voldemort's. Thank you. <laughs> Cheater. Return.
2: <laughs> Loudly.
0: <laughs> okay, sure. I thought you would end it on like today. Yeah, I thought about About Voldemort's that. return today. I did. I wanted to change it to Voldemort's evil... And then you could have said plan or something like that.
3: Return plan could have worked too.
0: (laughs) Von Ward's return plan, yeah.
2: So last we left Harry, he was uh, dealing with Sirius's mother screaming at the top of her lungs. But uh, the chapter opens up and Harry learns from Sirius that in fact they are in his old home. And that as the last living black He's the rightful owner of number 12 Grimmauld Place, and he's given his home as headquarters for the Order of the Phoenix. And I thought we could just start out by talking, is this a miscalculation on the part of Dumbledore to accept Sirius's offer for headquarters of the Order? We've talked in the past about how there's threats externally, but... Being in a place like this, I think there are a lot of threats that are within Grimmauld Place that aren't considered by Dumbledore. They obviously play out later on in the course of the book, but just from what we've seen of Grimmauld Place so far, does this seem like the best place for the order?
3: I think for location-wise, I think it's good because since it is at least near like the inner city of London, at least in my mind it is, that since... Th- Um, the Ministry of Magic is also in London just having your resistance headquarters pretty close to the people you're resisting since the ministry is against Dumbledore right now it makes sense to kind of be close just so that some of your members can get back from work really easy stuff like that
1: I also wonder what other options they might have had Mm -hmm. because if you think about it it's like okay You have all of these people's personal homes, which isn't doable because you don't want their neighbors to see this gaggle of wizards coming and going all the time. Uh, A lot of whom are not even supposed to know each other. Like we see that, um, Arthur and Kingsley tend to ignore each other at work to not, you know, to avoid raising suspicion. Um, and also the only other option apart from that would be Hogwarts in my mind. And again, that's another risk because you would see all these people coming and going. And all of a sudden you would have people like Draco Malfoy, um, who we'll see is very observant about who is following Harry around noticing people like the Weasleys or Kingsley or Tonks or Lupin coming and going when they really have no discernible reason to be at Hogwarts. Mm -hmm. So I wonder if this was a case of this just being the best option. Well, and
0: with Hogwarts, because you're not supposed to be able to operate into and out of the school, it wouldn't have been very easy to get to for all these people. It does seem very far away. It is very far away from London. I liked Pat's point about uh, being close in close proximity to the ministry. Um, and I'm also wondering if J.K. Rowling wanted to put it here just so harry could learn more about sirius's life before he died we also get introduced to the tapestry and of course his mother and some precious family heirlooms and without the introduction of the house without harry spending time in the house we would
3: lose a lot of that i think too because we have the advantage of seeing what happened like because book six is obviously already out um the advantage of the muggles being surrounding them too, so really nobody can retaliate against the order if they did find anything out. But we see in book six, when the headquarters have moved to the borough, just the fact that they don't have all of the precautions that they had on Grimmauld Place. So that leads like the minister to show up at headquarters and the headquarters to eventually be attacked in book seven. So I think there is more of an advantage right now to have it in the middle of London, surrounded by muggles and everything.
0: Hiding in plain sight, so to speak.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think those are all really, really good points. And speaking of hiding in plain sight, Harry notices what looks like floor plans um, on the kitchen table. This This whole chapter really takes place around dinner and and before and after. And so... They're, Harry's finally getting a meal after all he's been through the course of these last couple of hours, and he notices just prior to um the the meeting's wrapped up, but there's what looks to be floor plans on the table, and I was just wondering, do we recall what we thought they might be for? You know it's a little sloppy on the part of the order to just kind of leave them hanging out there. It's another instance where Harry is not really getting any information it's a it's a tease more than anything else right
0: it's such a blink and you'll miss it line that i don't think i put any thought into it when i was reading i mean they're having meetings that's what you do you have some plans out you have some paperwork out it's no big deal
3: Mm -hmm. i did want to point out that bill vanishes all of these papers using Ivanesco, and isn't that the same spell that they use in hogwarts before plumbing was a thing To remove their poop?
0: Uh, Well, I guess it's appropriate you bring that up
3: today, since we also said
0: goodbye to Pottermore.
3: (laughs) (laughs) So did these plans go to the same place that all the poop goes, or do you have (laughs) control when you vanish? It's a great question.
0: That's a good question, actually. Did Pottermore answer that? Pottermore, come back. We need to know the answer. (laughs) I'm going to say when you cast that spell, you have to think inside your head where they need to go to. So That's legit. when you're getting rid of your human waste, you're thinking in your head, I want to send this very far away. When you're Bill hiding the floor plans, you just say, I want to hide this in my room or in my pocket.
2: We also get a more formal introduction to Mundungus. And we'll talk about him in a little bit and just his value to the order, but Again, towards the beginning of this chapter, Harry and Sirius strike up a conversation and they're really comparing Summers with each other. And we we learn that Sirius has been cooped up at Grimmauld Place on Dumbledore's orders, much like Harry has been at Privet Drive on Dumbledore's orders. And to me, this kind of felt like a conversation that Sirius and James might have. And they're both blaming Dumbledore for their current situation. The quote from uh, the book is that there was something about the slightly flattened tone of voice in which Sirius uttered Dumbledore's name that told Harry that Sirius was not very happy with the headmaster either. Harry felt a sudden upsurge of affection for his godfather.
1: From an adult vantage point, I found myself being really annoyed with Sirius here because he's literally trying to one-up Harry on how miserable both their summers were. It was like they were in the middle of the misery Olympics, like (laughs) who's had a worse summer? And I was like, you are an adult. You are a grown-ass person comparing your misery with the misery of a 15-year-old who just so happens to be the chosen one and whose parents were murdered by Voldemort. Like, calm down. (laughs)
0: Well, is that reflective of Sirius's character in general? Is he just generally an immature person? I would say so.
1: Yeah. I also thought, um, and, and really, I think of both Harry and Sirius when I think of this, but I think that they're both prime examples of what happens um, if you let something that's called the ladder of inference go unchecked. Is this a theory that y'all are familiar with? No. Um. So it's actually really interesting. So... The ladder of inference describes the thinking process that we go through, usually without realizing it to get from a fact to a decision or action. Um, and the, and the stages of the ladder can be seen as rungs, right? Um, and we actually have a link to this that we can maybe put in the show notes if people find it interesting. But oftentimes what happens is we have our small pool of data and facts that represents reality, but we don't have all the context or all the information. So we end up climbing our ladder, if you will, and making decisions and taking action based on a really limited pool of data. And that can oftentimes get us into trouble, as we see often happens to Harry and ultimately what happens to Sirius in this book. So it's just like a mental health point of view thing, especially since we've previously gotten feedback from the listeners about how one of the major themes that's playing here is Harry's mental health and how it's impacted by being shut off from the wizarding world by being stuck with the Dursleys who are emotionally and sometimes physically abusive towards him
0: yeah
2: yeah it's a really interesting point and I don't think Sirius really has had the opportunity to grow up he hasn't had the opportunity to mature because he was locked up in Azkaban for 13 years and now Mm -hmm. he's just had the opportunity to get out but he's very much been a prisoner despite the fact that he's not in jail if we think about everything that he's been through since a prisoner of Azkaban
3: yeah he spent a year just living with Buckbeak Like, you can't talk to Buck... Oh, I mean, you can, but it's not going to talk back.
2: And he's thrown very much into a torturous situation. He's in his old home, which we can tell is not a fun place for him to be. Uh, He talked even with Harry in Prisoner of Azkaban about how, or or maybe it's later on in this book, I'm confusing it, but how he would always go to the Potters, and that was kind of his refuge. Uh, And not only that, he's forced to come face to face with the person he probably detests the most outside of his mother. And that's Snape and Snape coming in and out of his home and basically throwing it in his face. Every time they're sitting down and having a conversation that Sirius really is unable to do much outside of provide this, this safe house for them.
0: I can see why Sirius is very frustrated because he wants to be in Snape's position. He wants to be going out, but Dumbledore is insisting that he doesn't do that. I'm also this conversation is making me think that I don't think I would like Sirius. Harry likes him a lot because he's the closest family, but he just seems Sirius Just seems like an annoying uncle. And we'll talk in a few minutes about how Sirius pushes Harry into asking about Voldemort. And it seems really uncalled for. And then when you consider what we've just been talking about for the past couple of minutes, it's like this guy does not seem like a, um, a person I would be wanting to spend time with.
2: So switching the, the discussion a little bit, there there's kind of a comedic moment with Fred and George, which is always the case. And they're trying to help Molly prepare dinner. And she starts to get really frustrated with them. And we saw it earlier on uh, as well with them apparating about them utilizing their magic. And it, it's really, though, a coming of age for Fred and George, right? Much like we would have a coming of age when were old enough to drink or old enough to vote. There's something that's really unique and powerful about those moments. So I just want to talk a little bit about that. And, And I wonder what Molly herself was like back in the day when she first got this opportunity. I think she's just being a little bit hard on Fred and George.
0: Yeah, probably because of their situation right now. She's a little more on edge. But she also does bring up that Bill and Charlie, and maybe she mentions Percy too, they weren't using magic left and right like Fred and George are. But you do also have to understand where they're coming from. A, uh, like you said, they're they're always goofing off. But B, being able to legally use magic for the first time, that'd be like having a new toy. It's like getting a new car, getting a new electronic. You just want to use it more. You want to celebrate using it because it's fresh and new and exciting. And of course, when you give something like this to Fred and George, damn right, they're going to run with it. So I don't blame them at all. I think Molly's response is more because they are in Sirius's home and everybody's on edge right now with everything that's going on. She's just stressed out.
1: Well, she's also kind of always been frustrated with the twins. And I think she has a bad habit of comparing them to her other children. You know, we kind of see this in uh, later chapters where... Ron gets the prefect badge and Molly's like oh that's everyone in the family and Fred and George are like what (laughs) we didn't do that Um, and she often gets frustrated with them even in the earlier books for their antics so I think she just has a hard time connecting with them on that front and it honestly seems like she sees more of herself in her other children which is problematic I mean I think that We've all seen examples of, unfortunately, parents who express a clear preference amongst their children. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And it sucks and it's not right, but it is a reality that happens sometimes. And even though Molly Weasley is an overwhelmingly good character, she still has flaws. And I think this is one of them.
3: Yeah, I think too. And I could just be giving Molly more credit in this moment, but she, I think, realizes where the future is going and doesn't want the twins to bring more attention to themselves, which could ultimately lead to their early deaths if they keep screwing around. Yep, definitely. This
0: is an awful question to ask, but do you think she <laughs> wishes she didn't have Fred and George?
1: <laughs> no, I'm sure it's No, not. I don't I'm, think so. I'm sure that's not it.
0: <laughs> Are they her least favorite children?
1: I don't know if I'd put it that way. I I think, like I said before, I think she has a clear preference. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: But what's interesting about that... So she
0: prefers them least.
1: (laughs) (laughs) I think what's interesting about that, though, is you were right that she brought up Percy in the middle of this. She was like, well, Bill and Charlie never did this and Percy. And she just stopped dead and couldn't proceed talking because I think that probably the child that stood out as being her most responsible, most like you know, um, nose down, um, respecting of authority by the book ended up, uh, forsaking the family. Yeah. So that probably stings.
3: Right. And you remember in book four too, when how just distraught she is and they're the first ones that she goes to once they get back from the Quidditch World Cup after their last interaction before they left. Because she felt so guilty for what she said to them,
2: so Ooh, I do think yeah. she
3: she really does love them incredibly. They just frustrate her. I, I
2: would say Ron is probably in the category. Well, if we go to the Horcrux scene, the least loved of of his siblings, and his mom had wanted a daughter, and
1: yeah, at the very least, that's Ron's perception,
3: mm, right,
1: of how his mother views him. But, um, you know, oftentimes our our worst perceptions of ourselves generally aren't reflective of the actual reality.
2: Well, maybe she's also upset at Fred and George for death omen number two. And this happens (laughs) as they're trying to help Molly out preparing dinner. And the quote from the book is, the bread knife slipped off the board and landed, point down and quivering ominously, exactly where Sirius's right hand had been seconds before.
3: Dun dun dun! The Grim Reaper is coming for you, Sirius. Something that I wanted to point out as we're getting into dinner is the difference that the movie like to bring out, rather than following the books. Um, when Tonks is putting on her little like no-show, changing her appearance for Ginny and Hermione, In the books, it describes the noses as still like being human noses, but either being pig-like or beak-like where it's hooked like Sirius's, or not Sirius's, Snape's, which it does mention. But then in the movie, they did physically give her like a duck bill and give her a pig nose and everything, where I think that leads to them just making it more comedic for the viewers who aren't necessarily book fans. Because a metamorphmagus, or however you pronounce it, can only do human form. It can't do anything with animal forms.
1: Yeah. I can definitely see this being a place where they thought, in order to translate this moment to the screen, um, yeah. the transition has to be more stark. Whereas yeah. like, if you did her doing different kinds of human noses, it wouldn't be as eye-catching. Of a visual, so I can see why they did it, but it's not canon,
3: <laughs> right? Which also leads to one of my biggest pet peeves of the Hogwarts Mystery game <laughs> is they have Tonks turn into Professor Bins and like float around. Where she also can't turn into a ghost, so that's not a thing. That's <laughs> why come on, are you putting mystery. that in a game. I think
0: it, they also, in the case of the movie, they just needed a lighter moment, and that's why they made it a more aggressive transformation.
2: Speaking of Tonks, though, I read this somewhere when I was working on the chapter discussion. Do you think the hand is sort of overplayed with Tonks here? Because she offers to help Molly out with dinner, and yet she has a couple more incidents on her way to doing that. And somebody made the point, if she offered to help out with dinner, one would think that she's more than capable of doing that. And so it just seems that her ability to knock things over or be clumsy is, is just overdone in, in, in terms of just her character. And so I found that interesting.
1: Well, I also find it interesting that um, she's so quick to use magic to help Harry pack but then when they arrive at Grimwald place it describes her and Remus as like jointly carrying his trunk mm. th- down the hallway and now she like wants to help make dinner dinner manually and I'm like where's the magic yeah. you can actually do it here
3: Yeah Maybe she just felt more comfortable w- with an underage wizard like not like being clumsy but now that she is with these people that she looks up to she doesn't want to screw up but it just still Mm -hmm. ends up happening. Maybe she wanted to just get in a little physical activity. Got to get those squats in.
2: At the uh, other end of the dinner table from Tonks and, and her faces is a discussion about goblins. And the reason why I wanted to bring this up is there's starting to be talk of who's on what side. And knowing that Voldemort is now back, there's going to be recruitment done on his part. And so... Bill and and Remus and I think a few others are talking about the goblins and it right now it's unclear whose side they're on but it is clear that the order is making a pitch for them and that something that's super important to them is their freedom.
1: Yeah, I thought it was this was actually a really poignant real world example that we can draw on. The idea that um, a group that has been persecuted and denied their rights for so long will tend to be sympathetic, perhaps, to the offer of a group that is, you know, at least saying they're going to provide some form of salvation or equality for them. And Bill really brings up the point, like, we've been denying them these rights for centuries, so some of them are feeling a bit anti wizard at the moment. And that makes them really susceptible to, you know, whatever positive offers that Voldemort might make to them. And I think that you can look at the world that we live in as a great example of that. I mean, if you have a particularly charismatic leader who has nefarious intentions, but they're making some kind of offer that, is really good for a particular faction of the population, they're more likely to think about what they need for themselves than about the overall good of, you know, whoever's in charge of things. So I thought this was really interesting. It felt very apropos to sort of um, where we are on a global scale at the moment.
0: It's also just a bummer that the goblins feel like their best bet might be Voldemort. (laughs) Like, No, we can't depend on uh, the good guys anymore, so we have to go to Team Voldemort. But in preparation for today's discussion, I was also just reading about goblins in the Harry Potter series. And I was reminded that there were rumors that Fudge actually wanted to take Wizarding Currency and and Gringotts away from the goblins. And that could Mm -hmm. not have helped at all either. Right. I guess this period was a big moment for wizards to reflect on how they've been treating different species over the years because now they really need these guys, goblins and other types of creatures, and they might not be there for
1: them. Well, and that's the thing. who's um, Who's a good guy and a bad guy is totally dependent on your social vantage point. So to the goblins who've been denied their rights and their freedoms for centuries by wizards... Yeah. They probably aren't looking at this as oh, these are the good guys, these are the bad guys. To them, everybody's a bad guy because they've been denying them freedom mm-hmm. for so long and they really try to restrict their abilities, um, you know, to be themselves in yeah. this world where they are naturally occurring and they clearly have a place. So to them it's probably less about good versus evil and more about what can we do to secure our freedoms.
3: Yeah. Right. And the chapter also kind of goes into being like the goblins could just flip a coin and go either way because I I think it was Bill that mentioned that they haven't forgotten that Voldemort also killed an entire family of goblins at one point during his last attempt to Mm -hmm. gain power.
0: And I think if the goblins did end up siding with Voldemort in the second Wizarding War, Voldemort would have killed them later. He would have only brought them in because he needed them and acted like he cared about them and then after the mm-hmm. war if he won they would have been treated like crap.
1: Yep. It really is a lose-lose for them because they have two they have these two options. One option is to go with the guy who might be promising them um, you know, big ideas of freedom and salvation and all these other things, but who will ultimately probably slaughter them at one point. Yeah. Or they can choose the more quote-unquote moderate option of people who aren't going to kill them, but are also going to force them to continue to live as second-class citizens.
3: Mm -hmm. Either way, it's still wizards. Yep. Well, we mentioned Mundungus
2: earlier on in the chapter. We get the sense that Molly really doesn't approve of him. And honestly, I wanted to ask the question, do we? It's stated (laughs) that he knows all of the crooks because he is one. Dumbledore saved his ass one time, so he owes him. And I'm curious, does Dumbledore just pick order members like he does Hogwarts professors?
0: (laughs) This is a really embarrassing chapter for Mundungus because it's noted that he was sleeping through the most recent meeting. This guy is useless. And then a couple of pages later, he's openly considering stealing some of Sirius's possessions. You know... Every team has a couple of people who suck, but you keep them around because they know how to code things, or they uh, they write really good show notes for MuggleCast. Or <laughs> even if they generally suck, sometimes there's that one thing that you need them for, so you can't get rid of them. But it's almost like Micah writes the MuggleCast show notes, in case anyone was wondering. I think
2: people may have figured that out. But <laughs> but with Mundungus, it's almost like Dumbledore is is putting a kid in a candy shop with Grumbled Place your point yeah and that's to me a miscalculation on it I mean maybe that's part of what Dumbledore is thinking hey if I put Mundungus in this place where he's likely to be able to still do the things that he does then I can still keep an eye on him and and maybe he gets us some decent information but he just seems like too much of a liability in my opinion and we'll we'll talk more about the order in, in a little bit because it's mentioned later on that they they're really ineffective at their jobs right now. They 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 really can't spread the word that Voldemort has returned and they can't do too much. And I just think having somebody like this is is more of a liability than it is a a benefit at this point.
3: Yeah, I think if there were more people in the order right now, Mundungus would have less responsibility. Like, if there were 10 more people in it, he would have never been assigned to trail Harry. But they're kind of scraping the bottom of the barrel until they get more members, which I think is why he has more responsibility at this moment in time.
2: So now it's time for the battle for Harry. And in one corner, we have Sirius Black. (laughs) In the other corner, we have Molly Weasley. And this all kind of starts when. Sirius encourages Harry to ask about Voldemort. And I just think Sirius at this point wants to stir shit up like he wants to get things going at this uh, you know it, it, and part of it I think is his immaturity. I Part of it is I think yeah. what we were talking about earlier with him just being reckless at this stage. And I almost think he's looking for Harry to act out on his behalf, given his state of mind and being locked up in Grimald Place all summer. He just wants to throw everything out there, and he doesn't really care. And I wanted to get your thoughts on that.
0: Yeah, I think he's really bored inside his home, and he's looking for a fight. He wants to prod other people to bring them down to his level. I've just found this very uncalled for and very out of left field. And it's another reason I don't like Sirius.
1: I also think that he's living vicariously through Harry. Um, We can see earlier on in the chapter that the two of them are really connecting on this idea of feeling isolated. So this is Sirius's way of being like, look, see, I'm not the only one. And Harry has more reason than any of the rest of us to want to know what's going on. So he has a right to know. So, you know, I think there is some good intention here in that he's Harry's godfather and he knows that Harry is feeling so cut off from this world and he's trying to make sure that Harry feels connected to it. But at the same time, I think he's also trying to make a point about his own situation. And as we can see, this all just kind of blows up.
2: Right. And I also think it's a shot at Dumbledore, just given his frustration level with him right now. And Dumbledore makes it clear that Harry doesn't need to know more than he needs to know. And given that Dumbledore isn't there, it's really up to these adults to figure out how much Harry really needs to know in this situation. And, Molly thinks that Sirius is treating Harry too much like James. And he responds, I'm perfectly clear who he is, Molly. And I thought that's ironic given the scene at the very end of the book where he calls him James.
1: God, that hurt my heart.
2: Molly was right. And there is a lot of back and forth that takes place between Molly and Sirius. And Molly says that Harry is as good as one of her own children. Harry appreciates the concern, but is really tired of her coddling and, Andrew, I think you yeah. raised a good point here about Harry not really having any parental figures, so are these two kind of the stand-ins at this point?
0: Well, yeah, I wanted to ask everybody, who are Harry's parents right now? Sirius, definitely. Lupin? Uh, Would we call we Molly really a
1: parent? think Sirius is acting in a parental role? Sirius, I think he's a good... I think it's good that he's in Harry's life so that Harry has some kind of connection to the foundation of who he is and who his parents were. But I don't think Sirius acts like a parent. Sirius acts like a sibling. I was going to say
2: like the rogue uncle. More than anything
1: else. Yeah. I really think that Molly, you know, for better or for worse, sometimes she's overprotective and that, you know, historically we'll talk about this in connecting the threads. We've seen that that doesn't always work out the best, but She really does have the best intentions at heart for Harry. And if you go all the way back to book two, when Harry first stays at the borough, she very much includes him as one of her own. He always gets the hand-knitted sweater at Christmas. She's always thinking of him amongst her own children. There's always a spot at the table for him with the Weasleys. And that's largely because of Molly, you know. So I think that she definitely does serve as a stand-in parental figure for him. And I think, uh, who said Lupin a moment I did. ago? I think Lupin is probably closer to a father figure, like a true father figure.
0: Yeah. So who does Harry consider his parents, though? Because I think Sirius is number one. And I don't think he really sees Molly as a parent I hate to say that because Molly probably deserves it. But I think the person who would come in second after Sirius is Lupin, they always have these really good conversations, these really nice heart-to-hearts. And Harry respects Molly, but I think he respects Lupin and Sirius most. He would he would follow them off a bridge. I don't think he would do the same for Molly.
1: Right. And I think a lot of that is... Um a lot of confirmation bias on Harry's part, right? Like these two people were the Marauders. They made the Marauders map. They were friends with his parents. They knew his parents. So I think there's a deal of personal bias that goes into that. So I would agree with you, Andrew. I think that for, well, I think it's usually for worse. Harry does view Sirius as more of a parental figure than he probably is. Sirius, in this case, kind of reminds me of the parent that tries to be too cool. You know, like I feel like we all had at least one friend who had that that parent who was like the cool mom and like always into what the kids were into and never really disciplined anybody, never set any structure or any boundaries or anything. So their kids kind of ran wild. As a result, Sirius reminds me a lot of that. I don't think it's entirely his fault because, as we've mentioned earlier, um, he graduated Hogwarts. I think maybe a couple of years went by because Lily and James had Harry pretty young, and then they died, and then he was sent off to Azkaban for twelve years. So he lost out on a lot of the time in which he would have matured, and I would argue. That had Lillian James not been murdered, Sirius probably would have been a better stand-in father figure to Harry than he is now.
3: Yeah, I think too that r- at this point in the book, I don't think Harry sees Molly as a parent. But within the next chapter or two, when he walks in on her with the boggart, I think that's when he does realize like, okay, this is a mother to me. Like Molly is a mother. She does care about me that much. I think he has that visual confirmation at that point. And then I think his viewpoint changes a little just within a chapter or two.
2: That's a great point. Though Molly is definitely wrong, I would say, at times during this debate that's going on. And, and she says something to Sirius that is pretty harsh. And she talks about how it's been rather difficult for you to look after Harry while you've been locked up in Azkaban, hasn't it? And she knows Sirius was framed, and and this is really, uh, I thought, a, a really kind of surprising moment for Molly, right? I've I don't know that we've seen her kind of act out in this way, and it, it this is a struggle. In my mind, of who cares about Harry the most, right? Instead of just saying we both care about Harry, which which Lupin kind of brings it all full circle later on, but these two are going at each other really for Harry's affection, trying to prove who cares about him the most.
0: Yeah,
1: yeah, I agree. This was it was a it was a dig for sure from Molly, and it was. Catty and a bit immature on her part because, like you mentioned, she knows that Sirius wasn't actually guilty. Um, and, it, you know, I think it demonstrates a lack of empathy in this moment, which is surprising for Molly.
0: We also have to remember this was a comment she made in the heat of the moment. And I mm-hmm. think maybe she would take it back if there was a discussion afterwards. She was just desperate to be defensive, and she snapped, and this came out. Sometimes we say things we don't mean when we're angry. Yeah, uh,
2: and and I just think for her, it's, as you said, it's, it's heat of the moment, and she really doesn't want Harry to listen to anything that he's about to hear. And if she can do everything in her yeah. power to make that happen, she's going to do it. And if that means saying what she says, then she has no problem saying it here. Yeah. We
0: touched... Everything's about to be laid bare. Right. So she's taking one last stab before she loses all control. Exactly. I feel bad for her.
2: Now, we talked a little bit about Harry allying with Sirius in this moment. Uh, and, and I think a lot of it has to do with Harry and Sirius really growing up the same way without parental figures. And... They sort of have any. They they. they, There's just no regard for any sort of rules taking place here, and it it's almost. This goes to Sirius, and his parenting ability. The fact that you know they're almost like buddies here. It's it is almost like Sirius and James versus Molly, and. It's just Sirius should be looking out for Harry a little bit more than he is, though I I do think there is something to be said for giving him information because he's had nothing provided to him since he left Hogwarts last summer.
0: Yeah, exactly. And we've all been on Team Give Harry information, so I don't think any of us have any right to fault Sirius here. And, of course, they're being buddy-buddy because Harry is getting what he wants, finally.
2: So Lupin and Arthur both support Sirius letting Harry in on some of what's been going on. And this sets off just a whole chain reaction of who should be in the room, who should not be in the room. And Harry actually considers for a very brief moment not letting Ron and Hermione in on what he's about to find out. And did you find yourself sympathizing with Harry at all?
0: I love getting back at people. So, yeah, uh, I totally (laughs) understand. I could totally understand why Harry considered that for a moment. But then there's this line, quote, the nasty impulse vanished as soon as they looked at each other. That's friendship. Harry Harry couldn't say no to his friends. It doesn't matter that he was left in the dark. He's looking into their eyes now, and he wants them to be a part of this. And like he brings up, he would tell Ron and Hermione anyway, even if they weren't in the room. So... (laughs) Molly could not win here.
1: I thought it was interesting because it, it seems like Harry did a better job at exercising self-control in this moment than Molly did. Right? Like, he had this really nasty impulse, but he did exercise self-control before he let the words slip out of his mouth. Which makes me wonder, like, you know, who gets maturity points <laughs> in this conversation?
0: Right. Molly also had more reason, I think, to feel enraged, though, because she felt very strongly about none of these children having access to this information. Mm-hmm. So I, I don't think Harry's back was up against the wall as much as Molly's was. So
2: Well, poor Ginny, because she's the lone person that gets... I mean, at that point, why not just <laughs> let her stay in the room?
0: She would probably find out, too. Harry would tell her, or Ron would tell her. Mm-hmm. If she begged one of her siblings enough, they would
2: probably tell her. So we end up getting the Voldemort report in the
3: Voldaport. It's called
2: the Voldaport.
3: <laughs> we still get mentions that a lot of members still shudder at the sound of his name, and you'd think that a group of people that want to take him down would stop being afraid of his name by now. Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah, so it's a great point. I I thought the same thing when I was reading. Like, why are these people? These adults even you... <laughs> still shuddering at the mention of his name.
0: It's almost a running joke at this point for JK Rowling. It's that's just what happens in the Wizarding World.
3: You hear you hear Voldemort and you go, huh? Even Ron still does up through book seven, like in and, and granted he, he does figure out that there's the trace on the name, but even up until then he's like, Will you just please stop saying it? Like we can we can all agree that I hate it. Please just don't say it. It's like a curse word
0: in the real world. Like, there's no... Has there ever been a name that if we said out loud, somebody would shudder over? No.
1: Maybe not within our lifetimes, but I don't know. If you look back on some really extreme, like, dictators or autocrats, you might see people who feel that way.
3: Yeah, I'm sure back in World War II during the Holocaust that most people would like not want to say Hitler's name. No, there's legitimate fear here with with yeah. his name.
2: So I, I do think, yeah, going back to World War II, making some comparisons to Hitler, mm-hmm. we learned that there have been no suspicious deaths reported thus far, and that Harry really messed up Voldemort's plans when he escaped the graveyard at the end of Goblet of Fire. Dumbledore recalled the order hours after his return, and that Fudge is out to delegitimize Dumbledore at every turn. I'm not really sure how much this tells us. These are things we probably could have figured out on our own.
0: Well, I just loved getting a lay of the land and learning what was going on with Voldemort. How fudge, how fudge is uh, keeping his head in the sand in regards to Voldemort coming back. And why the Ministry doesn't want to acknowledge that Voldemort could be back. And then also learning about how Fudge believes Dumbledore is trying to overthrow him and the politics behind all of that. I thought it was just a really cool lay of the land.
1: There was also some nice foreshadowing here um, where Harry was kind of asking, well, what's Voldemort up to? And Lupin confirms that, well, we don't really know, but Dumbledore's got a shrewd idea and Dumbledore's shrewd ideas normally turn out to be accurate.
0: <laughs> and that's why we trust him.
1: Yep, Horror That's princes. why we listen to him.
0: <laughs> when he says Harry can't know much, just go with it.
2: Yeah, and, and specifically we see Dumbledore being voted out of the chairmanship of the International Confederation of Wizards. He's demoted from uh, the chief warlock of the Wizengamot, and he may or may not have his order of Merlin first class taken away
0: do you think Harry starts feeling bad for Dumbledore seeing all these titles and positions stripped because then Harry might at least be thinking well Dumbledore is sacrificing a lot here for me in part so maybe I should start to uh be less angry at him for what he's doing because he's making a bunch of sacrifices (laughs)
3: Yeah, yeah. I think maybe he realizes like, hey, Dumbledore is not really a title queen. He just wants to make the world a better place. (laughs) So we touched on this earlier that
2: the Order is not really well positioned to spread the word of Voldemort's return. And this comes up uh, during the conversation. Sirius is a wanted criminal. Lupin is a werewolf. Arthur and Tonks could lose their jobs at the ministry. So it's really challenging for them to be able to spread the word about Voldemort's return, recruit people. It's not as easy as one would think, and certainly not with the ministry being an enemy as opposed to an ally.
0: Yeah, I was curious. Did anyone have any ideas for how they could have tried to spread the message? Or do you think it's best just for them to wait it out? Like, you couldn't really have the trio do it, because who would believe the kids? And then, of course, the ministry and the prophet would start putting together this smear campaign like they have with Harry, but it would probably reach a whole other level if they were going out on the streets and being like, Voldemort's back. Everybody panic. Is there anybody who could have spread the word successfully?
1: I think the order is in the position where they have to wait to strike until the iron's hot until something that is easily understandable to the public happens Um, Because the unfortunate part of Voldemort's return is that Harry was the only one who lived to see it, right? And I mean the Death Eaters, of course, but they're not going to admit to that. But, you know, Cedric Diggory died, so he can't confirm it. And all anybody knows is that Harry returned from the maze and the Triwizard Tournament with a dead Cedric Diggory. So that's all anybody's seeing from the outside. There needs to be some kind of event, very similar to what happens at the end of this book, that has multiple witnesses that will convince the public and sway public opinion. And really, until that happens, I don't think the order can be effectively spreading the word. Hmm.
0: Isn't it pretty sick that the public wouldn't believe Harry?
3: Like, he's a kid. Why would he want to make that up? Y'all suck. (laughs) But that's the problem of whatever, what all happened in book four with Rita. Like she did give the public a reason not to believe Harry in a lot of instances. Um, And then I think a lot of the public would think that Harry's just crying wolf at this point um, for more attention because she did a pretty good job of making people believe that all he wants is attention.
0: Yeah. But when you have a dead fellow student in your arms, if somebody sees that, they should start to believe you. <laughs> Otherwise, put Harry on trial for right. murdering Cedric.
2: True. Why not just give Harry some uh, veritaserum serum and have him spill his guts yeah. about what happened in the graveyard?
0: He should have volunteered to do that. Like, people volunteered to take lie detector tests.
2: All right. So the the chapter wraps up with the mention of a weapon, something that Voldemort didn't have at his disposal last time and it's very vague and molly cuts off the conversation there but was this misleading to us as readers is the prophecy truly a weapon
0: how should they have described it in this moment though like what they're trying to avoid telling harry something so why not just call it a weapon
3: right and i do think that If you do think about it, it could be considered a weapon with that phrase of knowledge is power. Mm -hmm. Um, The last time, back when Harry was a baby, Voldemort didn't have the full prophecy known to him. Mm -hmm. So the fact that he wants to know everything that was said is more knowledge for him to be able to defeat Harry next time. True. True. So that would change up everything. So I do think in a way, thinking about it in that kind of context, then it is a weapon.
1: Yeah, I agree with that. I also wonder how clued in they are on all of Dumbledore's interpretations. Because Harry's a bit of a weapon, right? Like Nobody really knows this at this point, but Harry is a weapon. So... It could also be in reference to that. Maybe they just don't know that that's what it means.
2: Interesting.
3: And I wonder if it's something too, like, does, like it, going off of what Laura said, do you think maybe some of the order thinks that he's trying to come up with a spell that is stronger than the killing curse maybe or where it could be multiple at once or something like that?
1: Yeah, it could just be that all they know is that Voldemort is after something in the Department of Mysteries. They may not know exactly what at this point.
3: Right. The prophecy has to be one of the guesses, though. Do you think it's widely known that people like the wizarding community knows that there is a Hall of Prophecies? Or do only the people that have a prophecy in there for them know about it? Mm. Since it is the Department of Mysteries.
0: Well, if they're sworn to secrecy, I guess it wouldn't get out. But if you would think that type of information would spread because there's a lot of prophecies in there. Right. Yeah, there's a lot. Do you guys think they drew the right line? So Molly stops them right before, well, right after we hear it's a weapon. Do you think this conversation with Harry was
3: stopped at the right place? For us as readers, yes.
1: Harry has shown a tendency to be really rash. And I think Molly knows that. And so from the perspective of keeping Harry from running out into the night to try and go after Voldemort, yes.
3: Does it ever bug you guys when, like, how Harry is like, oh, more powerful than the Avada Kedavra curse? Like, why do they have to say some of the spells, like the actual incantation and not just the name of the spell? Because, I mean, granted, Harry's not holding his wand, but if he was powerful enough he could have just killed an order member at that moment like why not just say the killing curse
1: <laughs> Yeah it's like pointing a gun around a room without the safety on
3: Right <laughs> And they do that for everything like being like oh yeah Harry just loves using expelliarmus like why not say he loves using the disarm charm or something like that I don't know I was thinking about that when I was reading this <laughs> They should have they
0: should have all squealed when he said avada kedavra like that there's no there's no outrage when he said it there.
2: <laughs> but I, I'm a believer that there needs to be intention behind it. If he's just saying it, it doesn't, yeah. it doesn't mean anything.
3: Yeah.
0: Right. Exactly. The Umbridge suck count stands at three still. Let's connect some threads. Laura, what did you discover?
1: So this was really interesting. I had forgotten about this until I happened to flip to uh, chapter four in Prisoner of Azkaban Arthur actually advocates for Harry's right to know about Sirius escaping from Azkaban, much to Molly's dismay. So Harry overhears them having an argument about this and Arthur saying, no, Harry has a right to know. And Molly saying, no, he can't know. It'll just terrify him. Um, So we see this is, I I think, a pretty direct parallel to this scene in Chapter 5 of Order of the Phoenix about Molly really wanting to limit Harry's exposure to information about Voldemort's return. Hmm. Um, Also in chapter five of Prisoner of Azkaban, Arthur asks Harry to swear that he won't go looking for Sirius. And we also learn in chapter five of Order of the Phoenix that Sirius is sworn to remain at headquarters. So in both cases, we see each of these characters being pressured to sort of um, remain within certain confines. Which is interesting, especially considering that in Prisoner of Azkaban at this point, Sirius was on the run and now he's shut in, almost like he's back in prison.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, we also learn in Prisoner of Azkaban chapter four, Arthur tells Molly that Fudge is interfering in daily prophet reporting about Sirius's escape from Azkaban. Um, he doesn't want the prophet to be reporting how lost the ministry is at this point and how they're really nowhere close to catching Sirius. And he's doing the same thing here about Voldemort's return. And we learn more about that in chapter five of Order of the Phoenix. Um, We also see in chapter five of Order of the Phoenix and in chapter five of Prisoner of Azkaban, a really big parallel um, or a really big contrast in terms of Fudge's treatment of Harry and Dumbledore So in this chapter, we learn about Fudge's true feelings about Dumbledore and his attempts to undermine him. But in Prisoner of Azkaban, Fudge really goes out of his way to accommodate Harry's safe travel back to Hogwarts by providing everybody with um, cars, like ministry approved cars to take them to King's Cross Station and be sure that Harry um, arrives safely back at school. And then finally, in Chapter 5 of Prisoner of Azkaban and in Chapter 5 of Order of the Phoenix, I would argue that Lupin gives Harry age-appropriate educational details about Dementors and about Voldemort. So in both cases, Lupin is being very intentional about what kind of information he gives Harry about the dark arts. Hmm.
0: Good stuff. Nice research.
1: Thank you. Thank you. Yeah
0: time for MVP of the week, I'm going to give it to Dumbledore for still controlling the situation even when he's not there. Good job. He's powerful.
2: I went with uh, Remus for, sorry, Laura, being the voice of reason.
1: (laughs) (laughs) It's okay. I'll give up my crown. (laughs) I went with Arthur kind of for a similar reason, but I said for seeing sense and knowing that it's part of their job to ensure that Harry gets facts. Um, He mentions early on in this conversation that it's important that if Harry's going to hear the information anywhere, that he gets it directly from the source and not through sort of like secondhand word of mouth, like maybe Fred and George overhearing snippets over the extendable ears. Um, Mm
2: -hmm.
3: I went with the kitchen table because just in this chapter, it got stabbed by a knife and a cauldron left a big gouge in it. so. It's still standing strong, and it's kind of the center of the entire chapter. Yeah,
0: it went through a lot. Poor kitchen table. Uh, Let's rename the chapter Harry Potter and the Order of the Phoenix, Chapter 5. But Dumbledore said.
2: (laughs) Harry Potter and the Order of the Phoenix, Chapter 5, on a need-to-know basis.
1: Harry Potter and the Order of the Phoenix, Chapter 5, Dumbledore's Detractors.
3: Harry Potter and the Order of the Phoenix, Chapter 5. How about a game of 20 questions? If you have any feedback about today's discussion, or
0: maybe a question or some feedback about Chapter 6, write in. Just go to mugglecast.com and click the contact link at the top, or email mugglecast at gmail.com. We also have our voicemail line, 19203muggle. When you call it, just make sure to keep your message around a minute long and make sure you're in a quiet space and We prefer you don't speak to us through car Bluetooth systems because the quality isn't that good. Or you could just use the voice memo app on your phone and email that file to mugglecast at gmail.com. You know, in recent weeks, we have enjoyed playing voice memos because they're super high quality. It's like you're in the studio with us. Time now for Quizzage. It will go on, even though Eric isn't here. Last week's question, what is the name of Bill Weasley's unwitting informant into the goblin point of view? The answer is Ragnarok. I keep wanting to say Ragnarok like Thor. Oh my
1: God, I did the same thing.
0: (laughs) (laughs) The correct answer is Thor Ragnarok. (laughs) Available in iTunes now. Winners include Greg, who has been making his Twitter name the answer to the quizage question, which was pretty funny. Also, Speech in the City, Issy, and Dancing in the Rain. This week's question. The Black Family Tapestry reads, The Most Noble and Ancient House of Black. But what is written directly beneath that line? It's in French, but we will take the French or English translation, and I say that because I don't know how to pronounce the French version. So... If I'm reading next week's answer, I'll read it in
2: English. I got you, Andrew. Don't (laughs) worry. Oh, you know what? Okay, great. I took seven years of French, so hopefully.
0: Did you really?
2: I did, yeah.
0: Why didn't this come up while we were talking about Crimes of Grindelwald for months, which was set in Paris? I don't know. Okay, great.
3: Micah, so full of secrets.
0: (laughs) What other secrets are you hiding? What other languages do you know? Next week, could you speak in French the whole episode?
2: I could try. I don't know how successful I would
0: be. What if Eric came back and you just were speaking French 100% of the time? There you go. And we don't tell him what happened.
2: Yeah, no, we could try that. Well, we are just about a week away, less than a week away uh, from LeakyCon Boston. Eric and I will be there October 11th through the 13th at the Seaport Hotel and World Trade Center and uh, got a bunch of things going on Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. On Friday, we will be doing a panel called Podcasting with Potter. It is a look back over the years of podcasting in the Harry Potter world. On Saturday, we're going to be doing a bit of a challenge with the folks over at PotterCast called Name That Character. And then on Sunday, we will be doing MuggleCast Live with Chris Rankin, who played Percy Weasley in the Potter films. All of these uh, panels are going to be taking place on the main stage at LeakyCon. Check the schedule for times just because all of that is always subject to change. But we'll put the times in the show notes as they stand right now. And then one other thing to mention, uh, we will be doing a MuggleCast meetup for listeners who are at LeakyCon or just live in the Boston area. It'll be taking place on Saturday, October 12th at Hopsters Brewing Company, which is just a short walk from the hotel. From about 5 to 7 p.m., we know there's a lot going on Saturday evening that the con-goers are going to want to get to, including the ball. That's always a big thing for uh, folks attending the con. So we're doing it right after the Name That Character session and just before the ball. So we're looking forward to meeting everybody in Boston that's going to be there.
0: Just a couple of quick reminders. We've added more episodes to the MuggleCast RSS feed. It now goes down to episode 50. So if you're a newer listener and maybe you want to go back into our archive or maybe you've been listening for a while and just want to relive the glory days, you can just scroll down within your feed and you
3: should find all of our older episodes now. That's awesome. I'm pretty sure I started listening to you guys at episode 50, like Uh, somewhere around there. Yeah, that's funny. (laughs)
0: And then just a few weeks later was the infamous Laura's Pants episode, and you were like, wow, I'm addicted to this show. (laughs) (laughs) Always for Laura's Pants. (laughs) (laughs) When Laura stayed with us, I don't think she left any pants here, did she, Pat?
1: No, No. I didn't, and it's unfortunate because um, that's my calling card. I just leave my pants at your house when I stay there.
3: And then people want to talk to you later. It's not your trademark
0: anymore. And also, don't forget to follow us on social media username MuggleCast on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. You'll get behind the scenes looks at the show. You'll get show previews. You'll get clips from the show. We also try to keep you up to date on Harry Potter news. So if you have any of those social media apps, be sure to follow us there. We would really appreciate it. And one last reminder to pledge on Patreon today to get instant access to lots of benefits, including access to our recording studio. We record every Saturday or Sunday, and by becoming a patron and pledging at any level, you will be able to hop into our recording studio and hear the raw, unedited version of the show as we are recording it. And you can also jump into a chat room to discuss the show as it's happening with fellow listeners as well as with us. We're always keeping an eye on the chat as it's going on. So thanks to everybody who's joining us this morning and every week. Many more benefits, including exclusive access to our Facebook group where people talk about everything Harry Potter every day. That group is a lot of fun. People have been sharing their tote bags. People have been talking about their new housing assignments from wizardingworld.com. There's a lot going on there. It's a really great community of Harry Potter fans. And you will have access to that group if you pledge at the Dumbledore's Army level on Patreon. Again, patreon.com slash mugglecast. Please pledge today. We would really appreciate your support. Thanks, everybody, for listening. I'm
2: Andrew. I'm Micah. I'm Laura. And I'm Pat. Bye, everybody. Bye.
1: See ya.